Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comments section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. A couple little house cleaning issues or points I wanted to mention before we get into the questions. Um, Okay, first off, uh, Patreon supporters. Okay, we got a lot more this week, and I, as I have been doing for the last few weeks, I really want to thank and validate those of you who sign up on Patreon uh, to help support my channel and what I'm doing here. Uh, this week, Katia Anna Calabro, Jeffrey, uh, oops, sorry, Terry L. Grant, uh, Dina Ray bumped up her amount, Wendy Reitler Budish, I hope I'm getting these names right. Uh, let's see, Katie Kack, Andrew Williams, The Crackpot, and Gabriella Lowley uh, all uh, signed up this week. So welcome to uh, this channel and being a supporter of it. And also, uh, it came up that some people were a little confused about how Patreon works. And so I wanted to just quickly say, uh, if you support this channel through Patreon, what it means is, is that you are pledging a certain amount of money every month. That's how it works. Sometimes on Patreon, people will do it by piece of content that they upload, like a songwriter might put a song up, and so everybody who pledges for him on his account will, you know, a dollar, two dollars, whatever it is, every time he puts a song up, you know, they're, they're deducted a dollar. But in my case, what I've opted to do is instead of doing it every time I upload content, because I do three videos a week, so that's, you know, 12 to 15 videos a month, um, rather than do it per piece of content that I upload, I instead do it every month. So if you go to Patreon and, and sign up there for, a, you know, for two bucks, then every, two, every month, two bucks is deducted from your account, and that's how that works, and that's what helps support this channel. So that's how, that's how that goes. Uh, another thing that I needed to mention, because we are getting more subscribers now, and I'm more than happy to have more people coming on board here and listening to all the things that I've got to say, um, is my moderation policy. I don't think I've ever really discussed this before, at least not that I remember, um, but there is a moderation policy in the comments section of my channel, and I have been really trying to be very tolerant, very open to disagreements, to you know issues people have with things that I have said. I really try to engage with people if I feel there is a real problem or issue um, immediately or maybe a few days after the fact because if I don't see it right away, because I, I don't, it's not like every morning I go through and scan all my comments, but I do see them all eventually. And I don't want to have you know people disagreeing with me if it's if it's based on some misunderstanding or some you know somebody else's issue and then they're bringing it and you know putting it on me or something. I mean all these things, whatever. But some people are just kind of trollish and they are personally insulting um, in a way that I would never ever accept somebody talking to me like in real life. So I really don't know why it is that I should be you know, thought that I should be taking that kind of abuse just because some anonymous person types it up on the internet and I'm supposed to give them, you know, f full freedom of speech to uh, harass, annoy, and abuse me uh, or guests I have on this show as though, you know, they have free reign to say whatever they want. Well, it's my channel and I do have a moderation policy and that policy simply stated is if you come on my channel and you are personally insulting and 
uh, you know, abusive and uh, using harsh language to, to be that way, I'm just going to start deleting people who do that because I don't really see why I should put up with it. Uh, if you have a real honest point that you disagree with me on or one of my guests on and you want to make that point, please do so in a civil manner. I really don't think that's too much to ask. I try really hard, and I know I'm not perfect, and I know nobody else is either. I try really hard to be civil, to be understanding, and try to engage with people as best I can. I have made mistakes on that. I have reacted, uh, you know, sometimes overly harshly to, um, to comments that, you know, like insulting type of comments that people have left. And I've always thought bad, I've always felt bad about that. I always thought that was my bad, you know. Um, so, you know, so I go out of my way to try to put the onus of, of effort on myself, but I have come to learn now after, you know, over a hundred episodes of this show and over 400 videos on my channel overall, that there are just some people who are just not into being civil and they're not into making, you know, to having a dialogue. They're just into slamming people and doing so in the most crude and insulting way possible. And I'm just not going to tolerate that anymore. So... Anyway, bottom line, that's that on my moderation policy. So let's go ahead and go on with your questions. Maureen Redfern. Okay, on Leah Remini's show, she made the comment that she felt superior. I understand that she felt superior to everyone because as an actor, they are treated superior to everyone, even from the rest of the people in Scientology. My question is, when you were in Scientology, did you feel superior to everyone outside the church? The whole purpose is to save the world, right? even wogs? Or was the plan to have only Scientologists left after the world was saved? Also, at any time, did you feel conflicted when you were being treated so badly? For instance, when you were put on the RPF or when you'd been physically or mentally abused, yet they were drilling into you that the church was so compassionate and you were doing the most good, didn't it ever seem wrong? Okay, so uh, Scientologists definitely feel superior right? Uh, part of, in fact, part of being in a destructive cult is the indoctrination or inculcation of a superiority attitude. That is, uh, when we talk about, or when I've mentioned in the past, an us versus them mentality, which is one of the characteristics of a destructive cult, um, that means that, you know, us and them, right? And us are the good guys and they are the bad guys. And these, you know, and that's kind of, the very clear line between those things, right? So for Scientologists, they are the us, and the wogs, the non-Scientologists, are the them. And if the wogs see the light, or can be brought into the light, so to speak, by being shown how great Hubbard is, and you know how Scientology can help them, then they'll come on board. And every Scientologist pretty much assumes that everybody out there is already a Scientologist, they just don't know it yet because they haven't been informed of how great L. Ron Hubbard is and Scientology is, and they just don't, they just, the only thing that's holding them back from being Scientologists is an ignorance of what Scientology is. And if everybody knew what Scientology is, then they would sign up, sign up immediately and come on board. So there, so with that, and with a lot of Hubbard's writings, comes uh, the attitude that the Scientologists, and, uh, and especially Scientology auditors, are the elite of planet Earth, right? Are the upper tenth of the upper twentieth of, of all human beings, you know, I've, um, this kind of idea or this kind of thinking. So because they have secret knowledge, 
special you know information they feel superior and because they do Scientology auditing where they are ridding themselves of they, they believe they think they're ridding themselves of all these past traumatic incidents and awful things that have happened they feel that they're in a more superior state of awareness and ability and um, and perception and that also gives them the idea that they are superior to other human beings it's totally delusional Okay, there is no truth to it at all. Scientologists are nothing special. There are, there are good uh, Scientologists, there are bad Scientologists, there are smart Scientologists, there are dumb Scientologists. Same as any, you know, normal group of human beings. <laughs> so there is nothing about Scientologists that make them better than everybody else. But they definitely think that they are because of their uh, knowledge and, and, uh, and the auditing. Um, now, as far as, you know, the, the, the kind of, as you mentioned, the sort of the opposite of that or the, the when, when I was in Scientology and I was getting beat on or abused, um, that, that abuse or that, uh, yeah, that ex those experiences that I had, like going to the RPF and, or, you know, being assaulted, let's say, because um, that happened to me, when those things happen, um, they are happening from people who you, who I believed were superior to me, uh, either senior to me in rank or rating in the Sea Org. Uh, in, in the case of the person who assaulted me, very superior. I mean, they were like three levels up above me, and they were on a, a project down in LA, and they, you know, grabbed me and shook me and, you know, and beat me. And uh, that happened, right? And I took it and I went with it and I didn't talk back and I didn't try to fight back and I didn't try to do anything against it because I was absolutely positive that I was the one who was in the wrong somehow, even though on, in hindsight I can see that I did nothing wrong. This was just some psychotic woman who decided to, you know, take out her, her uh, psychosis on me, really. And that's kind of what happened, right? Um, but at the time, you know, being surrounded by Sea Org members and being in a place where everybody agreed that this woman was, was a senior officer and, and knew what she was doing, and I had pissed her off, I was the one who deserved that, right? So it wasn't a feeling that I, that as a Scientologist, I wasn't superior anymore. Compared to the rest of the world, I'm, I definitely felt superior. But compared to her, and in that situation, I did not feel superior. And I also did feel like this was a person who was on a mission to save the world. She was from international management. And I was a you know lowly continental uh, West U Western United States management staff member, uh, which was not a lowly position in the Sea Org, but I was certainly, you know, lower than her. So um so I didn't feel like, you know, I had any position to, to fight back against that. But I also felt like she was more, the, the term in Scientology is on purpose. You, not that you do something on purpose, but that you are on purpose. You know, it's on hyphen purpose. In other words, there's a purpose or a drive or an intention or a goal that Scientologists have. Uh, sea Org members have, right? Clearing the planet, getting everybody into Scientology, making the world a better place, right? Ridding the world of insanity, war, and criminality. I mean, these are, these are big goals that Scientologists put out there for themselves. And 
If you're on purpose, then that means you're with the program. You're doing the job that's going to get that those targets accomplished. And so when I messed up on something, according to what this woman you know said that I had messed up on, then I was to that degree kind of off purpose, right? I had messed up. And so she was, you know, uh, dealing with me because I had, you know, gone off purpose to some degree. It was another, another Scientology's way of saying it or putting it. And so that was, that was why I didn't, I didn't doubt my superiority to non-Scientologists during those moments, but I certainly uh, wasn't feeling very superior <laughs> within the Sea Org at that time. So I hope that gives a, a, a picture of, of uh, the attitude there. Sonia Mallet, I was bummed out when I learned a few years ago that I share my birth date of March 13th with LRH. I'm aware of anti-Scientology protests on his birthday. One day I hope to celebrate my birthday by flying to Florida to protest. What about LRH special birthday celebrations or commemorations? What are they like? Do they focus on maintaining LRH's image and larger-than-life personality? Oh, you bet they do. The 13 March event, which is the event that is specifically in honor of L. Ron Hubbard, is all about L. Ron Hubbard uh, for the most part. And, um, and, it's, and it, they, they, they always have what they call a source briefing. L. Ron Hubbard is source capital S, source in Scientology. He's the guy who supposedly, according to Scientologists, came up with and discovered all of Dianetics and Scientology, which we, I've already proven on this channel numerous times is not true, but that's what Scientologists believe, because uh, that's what L. Ron Hubbard told them to believe. He said he was the single source of all of it. So L. Ron Hubbard's event on 13 March is sort of the source event. And so there is a source briefing that happens. And this is usually Danny Sherman uh, or David Miscavige does the briefing. And that uh, Danny Sherman is the L. Ron Hubbard biographer. The Sea Org hired him, oh God, a long time ago. And there has been no biography forthcoming from the church. And I mean, I'm talking about like 20 years ago, they hired him to do this job. And he still hasn't gotten a biography pushed out. Apparently it's been written, but like everything, David Miscavige just sits on things and delays it and delays it. But Danny Sherman is used, uh, he's a Scientologist, he's an OT, and he's fully on board with whatever David Miscavige tells him to do. He's the one who writes most of Miscavige's speeches anyway. But he's the one who does these special briefings about how great L. Ron Hubbard was and gives some slice of life stories and, you know, notes out of his logs and journals and or he'll just, you know, spin these tales of, of you know, wonder that L. Ron Hubbard was always on the path to greatness, right? From a very young age, he knew what it was he was going to do with his life. And it was all about saving mankind from the age of four. You know, I mean, it, it, it just this, the, the yarns they spin about Hubbard, you'd, you'd be amazed at some of the claims that, that Sherman has made over the years about L. Ron Hubbard. And they've broken down his life many, many times, many different ways. His war record, his um, travels in the Orient, his uh, gold mining expedition, his travels to Alaska on this uh, Alaskan radio expedition, his time in college, his time as a glider pilot, his, you know, the beginning of Dianetics and Scientology. I mean, they've taken all these little chunks of, of his life and sort of divvied them up and talked about them ad nauseum, really. Uh, and all of it is total pure fantasy. 
but, uh, but it's what the, you know, flock needs in order to keep up the, you know, pretense that L. Ron Hubbard was this brilliant genius philosopher that nobody else could ever match in genius, uh, smarts, intelligence, wisdom, and, uh, you know, and writing ability. So that's sort of the whole thrust of the 13 March event. The, only, the other thing that goes on every year at, the, at that event, uh, and has been for many, many for decades now, is the birthday game results. Uh, that's 13 March is when the birthday game ends that week. And the birthday game, as I've talked about before, is the game that the different organizations play between themselves to try to expand more than every other organization in the world relative to their size. So at the beginning of the year, 13 March, they're at a certain size. They have, you know, let's say you have some organizations got 20 staff and it's producing, you know, $1,000 a week or something like that, you know, and, and various other statistics that it keeps. And uh, then maybe there's some other organization that's bigger than they are, like they've got 50 staff and they're producing $10,000 a week or something. Uh, so they play for the year trying to get those stats up and whichever one expands more relative to its size, uh, not volume, but relative to its size is the one that's supposed to win the birthday game. And on 13 March, they give out big trophies to the heads of these organizations and that's part of the event. So there you go. Popsicle. You seem to vacillate on your political opinions, saying that Trump is bad and a cult leader, but then you also say that you aren't for everything on the left either, even though it's obvious you are left-leaning. What is your deal? Where are you really on the political spectrum? Ah, politics, my favorite subject. Um, I thought I would take up this question and just sort of, uh, I don't know, you know, just sort of throw some things out here. Politics is, uh, you know, so subjective, so full of opinions and ideas and, and so not full of very many facts that I've just kind of given up on any idea of critical thinking in regards to politics. And sometimes my, you know, opinions and ideas come out on the subject. But really, I... Okay, I have not been involved with politics most of my life. Uh, when I was in Scientology, and as a Sea Org member especially, we just didn't pay attention to it, like hardly at all. The whole idea of, of voting was sort of like, okay, I guess I will, right? Unless it was some issue or some politician that we were being told to vote for, by the Office of Special Affairs because that particular politician was an ally to the church and was gonna do us some good um, in some fashion or another. We, we didn't, I didn't really care about who was holding offices at the city council level, state level, national level. It just wasn't an issue for me because I was on a, this role to save the world and we had the idea in, in Scientology that politics was just a waste of everybody's time because all the politicians were basically useless and corrupt and the whole system kind of sucked anyway and we were building a better world. So like Al Ron Hubbard said, to hell with you know, this system and this world, we're gonna build a better one, right? And so that was kind of, you know, so I wasn't following really closely when you know, uh, Clinton's, uh, when, when Bill Clinton was president, and then, you know, the Bushes, and then on and on up through the 2000s and stuff, I was just kind of not really on, politics wasn't on my radar. I saw things, I knew who the president was and stuff, but other than that, I, you know, not a big deal. So when I came out of Scientology and I started paying some more attention to politics, it was like, 
Okay, this is a crazy topic and there's all kinds of crazy ideas flying around and what do I believe and what do I not believe? And I have come to find, I, I started thinking that I was more Democrat than Republican because of my socials and, and some of my economic leanings. But I thought, um, but, but as time has, this last election has really soured me on really on both the, the Dems and the Republicans, right? Um, I'm not really big on the DNC right now. I think they blew it. And then I, when I look further into it, because now I have the time to do that and the interest to do it, I kind of think the Dems have been blowing it for many, many, many years, right? As far as a political entity, the DNC, the Democratic National Committee. I, th I think these guys are just screwing around. I think they're kind of hard to differentiate in a lot of ways from the, you know, uh, GOP. As far as, you know, where, how, what they're, where they get their money from, who influences them. And, um, and I got a little bit, you know, uh, disaffected with the whole system when I saw a study that it was done that showed that Congress is kind of voting for what Congress votes for regardless of what the public wants or tells them to vote for policy-wise, right? Uh, there was a pretty definitive study against the voting records versus what the public were pushing that showed that Congress was not really listening that much. And that was very, that took a lot of wind out of my sails too, as far as trying to do something and make a difference politically. My leanings personally, I guess, go in the direction of caring for the people in the country, uh, all the people, right? And I would like to see universal health care because I think that's a really, really good idea. Um, I have struggled with health care personally, right? Um, since coming out of Scientology, and uh, I, uh, you know, kind of thought about that for quite a while. Looked at various systems going on in the world, and I thought, yeah, universal health care would be a really good idea here in the states. But our system doesn't really jive with it so well, and and it's just been this, you know. And who knew it was so complicated? <laughs> Right, so I know that there's a lot of work to do on that kind of thing. I'm big on equal rights, as everybody you know who watches this channel knows. For everyone, I don't really care about what religion you are, what race you are, what your what gender you think you are. I don't I don't care about any of that. Right, as far as rights under the law. And you know, there's and again, there's going to be so many opinions flying around about these things as to whether we all do have equal rights or don't have equal rights. Well, I know legally, you know, we're supposed to, but human beings are enforcing the law and their biases and prejudices and inability to think critically and inability to differentiate uh, people one from the, from the next or their ability to listen to people uh, when they're trying to explain what's going on. I mean, there's just every error you can possibly make is splashed all over the media every day when it comes to law enforcement problems. So are there issues still? You know, does prejudice still exist? Does racism still exist? Absolutely, of course it does. And anybody who says otherwise, I mean, come on, open your eyes, right? We have inequities, we have problems. And I would like to do whatever I can to try to help with that. But I don't, I don't think that the way to do that is to be all in with the GOP or all in with the DNC. And you know, unfortunately, the way our system is set up right now, those two parties are pretty much it. The third parties need to kind of come, you know, kind of get to it if they're gonna be a real contender to 
to fight those you know, the two-party system that we pretty much are operating on right now. I don't like the two-party system. I don't like the, the choices that we're limited to. But, you know, in the end, you got to kind of come down to something. And so in this last election, I saw, you know, the, the other thing I bring to my political views is my experience with, <laughs> with destructive cults. And uh, I think that this is something I know something about. And so I try to apply that information to uh, the choices I make politically, and I see that, you know, a lot of destructive cult leader characteristics in Donald Trump before he was elected. We were talking about this on the Sensibly Speaking podcast, and I I don't, you know, it's not, not only is it a personality thing with me where I just don't like the guy personally, but I, I don't like what he stands for, I don't like the things he has said, and, um, or done, or the people that he's put into office, or whatever. So, for, you know, so now that I say that, some people are like, well, you're just a horrible person. And I go, well, you know, I don't think you're a horrible person for, uh, you know, supporting Trump. So I don't know why it has to get that way. You know, I really wish it wouldn't be that way. <laughs> anyway, probably going on and on and on here, but I am left leaning uh, as far as the political spectrum goes, because I do have social uh, concerns and social ideas. Uh, as far as where I think our money should be going to support certain things, but all things in moderation, really. I don't want to go excessive on any of this stuff. So I, I kind of look at myself as centrist-ish, but, you know, everybody's got something to say about whatever label I'm going to throw out there as to what I am, but I hope that some of what I've said here explains where I'm coming from. A non-lover. When you routed out of the Sea Org, were you required to sign a non-disclosure agreement, NDA? And if so, was it recorded on camera like Debbie Cook and others? And has the Church of Scientology ever threatened you for breaking it? Yes, I did. I believe at this time, and for many, for many years now, I think, all people who leave the Sea Org have to be put on camera and sign a, a packet of documents uh, indicating that we will not disclose the X, Y, and Z, uh, or talk about this or talk about that. And we will hold harmless the church forever in perpetuity. Me and my relatives for the until the end of time shall never, you know, sue the church or go after the church in any way. Uh, was also part of what I was signing there. And and frankly, at that point, you know, you're in a position like Debbie has said, and like anybody else who signed those documents has said, where you'll you'll sign you'll say and do anything to get the hell out of there, right? I mean, because this is what's standing between you and being able to walk out the door. Uh, is you, you know, being filmed signing these documents. So you sign them, right? And I did read them over when I was doing that. So, um, so I, I took it seriously to start with until I found out that you can't so easily, you know, be made to sign away your uh, First Amendment rights. And so I have obviously disregarded that uh, and I have not been pursued by the Church of Scientology in any way legally for uh, for breaking any of that. And um, I don't know. I don't know what would happen if that were to be challenged or if I were to be challenged on that. I'm not really sure. But, um, but I'm pretty sure that it is standard practice every single Sea Org member before they can standardly leave the church. I mean, if you just get up and walk away and leave and never look back, well, then you're not going to have to go through that process, obviously. I was trying to stay in good standing with the church, and so that's what I had to do to, to, to meet that. Masiej Posicha. 
What is your opinion on the theory that Miscavige doesn't want new people in Scientology, as virtually everybody will have been exposed to the OT3 stuff through media and it would inevitably reach good Scientologists? Is there any evidence that they are looking for new recruits in areas that might not have been saturated with Western media? Thanks for all your hard work. Thank you, and I hope again that I didn't butcher your name too badly there. I'm really bad with names. Um, yeah, there is, uh, there is evidence that Scientology is spending a lot more time and resources um, trying to get new members in from Asia, uh, specifically Thailand, um, and from Russia. Uh, up until, you know, now Russia's all but banned them, I think. They're throwing people in jail over there. So I don't think they're doing so hot over in Russia these days. I, I couldn't really say for sure. That's totally just my, you know, conjecture. But it doesn't seem like uh, Russia's a real hot spot of Scientology expansion anymore with people getting thrown in jail and orgs being raided every other week. Um, so Thailand seems to be pretty enthusiastic about Scientology, at least from what I've seen. And so I think they're putting a lot of effort and uh, concentration on that area. Also, I think South America, uh, Venezuela comes to mind. I know they get big, huge donors coming out of Venezuela. With the recent troubles in Venezuela that are occurring uh, with the government there, I don't know, uh, you know what, how much good Scientology is doing there other than passing out their Way to Happiness books, which are are never a bad thing to do, by the way. I really don't have a big chip on my shoulder about those books, but uh, I do have a big chip on my shoulder about them raising money to do those books because the church has plenty of money to print you know, millions of those books easily without having to fundraise a dime. So it's pretty ridiculous that they do that. But anyway, um, I think that that is, I think those are the areas that they're kind of concentrating attention on. And for some reason, they're all hung up on Ireland right now. And uh, there's a new ideal org being built from scratch in Ireland. And uh, I don't really know why, because it's not like there's a lot of Irish people joining Scientology. It's a big, big question mark as to why that's going on. Uh, but it is, right? They've established, they opened up a PR office in Ireland, and now they're opening up an ideal org there. So I don't know. Somehow David Miscavige has, it, uh, has his sight sets on that, on that place. Maybe he thinks it might be a... Uh, no, really, I don't think it would be a place for him to retreat to. I think he's, I think he's hanging out in Clearwater a lot these days and hiding out in L.A. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the Ireland thing is. But those are the places I've seen concentration from Scientology uh, over the last, you know, year or two. And, of course, you know, there is a lot of uh, money being spent right now on the Internet campaign, the counter campaign to Leah Remini's show, Scientology in the Aftermath. And that's an epic fail. Uh, it, as far as trying to get new members, though, that's not really what that campaign is doing. What that campaign is doing is trying to discredit anyone who's, uh, you know, showing up on Leah's show and, and, and talking, you know, the abuses that were rained down on them by Scientology. So, kind of a different thing. So, uh, anyway, I, I think, I hope that answers your question. with that incredibly silly intro, it is time for Flash Answers. Amanda Burke. So there is often reference to the Guardian's office and Operation Snow White as the largest infiltration of the U.S. government in its history. Is there ever any mention of what was contained in the thousands of documents that they stole? Well, you can find a lot of the documents that were raided by the FBI from the church when they conducted that raid in, I think it was 1977, 
uh, those documents are around and available for download. I think on WikiLeaks or you know, kind of Google is your friend on that. Um, the church was taking anything that they thought was incriminating uh, or you know was somehow contained any reference to L. Ron Hubbard or the church. That was the whole point of the operation. So I imagine that it, you know that the documents that they took from the IRS and other government agencies were anything flagging. You know, having to do with uh, surveillance of or investigation of L. Ron Hubbard and, and Scientology. Superman 1972 U.S. Your thoughts on the new Star Trek Discovery? No real thoughts yet because it hasn't aired that, as, that I've seen, but um, I'm, not, I'm not impressed with the commercials that I've seen so far. It looks like they're on some social justice tear or something. I don't know. You know, I... I like Star Trek for the the essence of Star Trek, which is, you know, hey, let's all get along in a future where, you know, mankind as mankind, you know, as humankind is moving forward and exploring the galaxy and trying to make uh, the galaxy a better place, right? That's I'm all about that philosophy. Um, when it starts getting into other things, you know, then that then the adventure and the excitement and the the the, the good storytelling. Um, you know, that, that is, to me, the hallmark of, of excellent Star Trek. When it gets off into other things, I think it, I think it loses. Um, and that's kind of what I'm sort of seeing a bit in the commercials, but I could be wrong. Commercials and trailers have been dead wrong before. And so uh, it could be a great show. We'll just have to see. Mr. Marathon 1989. I've noticed that people clap very loudly at IAS events when Miscavige is introduced. Is that because they will be sent to the RPF if they don't clap loudly enough? Well, let me put it this way. Public Scientologists and regular staff members don't go to the RPF, just Sea Org members do. But if a Sea Org member were seen standing around with his hands in his pockets or uh, you know, doing a Colin Kaepernick and, and taking a knee, you know, so to speak, figuratively, when Miscavige came out on stage or, or, or you know, at the event or anywhere else, right? Um, you know, if they're not loudly and obviously and visibly enthralled and ecstatic about seeing David Miscavige appear on the scene, then they will definitely, definitely be talking to an ethics officer to find out what's going on. Uh, with their disaffection with David Miscavige. Okay, and that is our show for this week. Thank you very much for coming around. Please leave any comments, criticism, you know, a good, bad, sideways, whatever, in the comment section below. I will see all of it. Thanks a lot, and uh, again, consider giving some love to this channel because your, you guys are what allow me to do this on a full-time basis and provide the, the continuous content that I am creating here. It's you guys who are making that happen. And I really, really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for allowing me to be able to do this for you. All right. I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye.